This is a podcast by The Business Times. This is podcast by The Business Times. I'm your host, Howie Lim. Welcome. And in earlier podcasts with State Street Global Advisors, we got an overview of the fixed income ETF space and the resilience of the Asian bond market. Today, though, we deep dive into the Asian bond market again and why ESG, environmental, social and governance, will be an important theme going forward. Global ESG assets now on track to surpass 53 trillion US dollars within five years. And while most of these inflows have been concentrated in the equity markets, the same trend is also playing out in the fixed income space. We're speaking again to Ng King Xiang, Asia Pacific Head of Fixed Income and Head of Singapore at State Street Global Advisors. This episode is brought to you by State Street Global Advisors. King Xiang, happy to speak to you again. Sure. Welcome back as well. So you've been managing Asian bond funds for a number of years, having launched the first ETF of its kind here in the region. How have Asian bonds, though, and fixed income ETFs evolved over time? And what's the likely path going forward? Yeah, when Stitcher Global Advisors started to manage the Pan-Asia Bond ETF fund in 2005, we have witnessed at that point in time, the Asian fixed income market is still relatively young in terms of development, and some of the areas are still not as conducive. It took us a lot of time to try to get some of the bond investment made in the market, including the trading, and also some of the settlement challenges as well. Now, over the years, we have seen the Asian authorities, not just the central banks, but also the Ministry of Finance and the public debt office of the various countries, undertaking good steps to try to create a more vibrant fixed income markets. We have also seen the Asian issuances picking up significantly over time. At the same time, the maturities of the bond issuances have been lengthened. And as a result, that helps to create a more interesting market that helps to allow some of the long-term investors such as life insurance companies and pensions to invest into these Asian markets. We have also seen the Asian authorities making it easier for investors to invest in the markets. In those years, we have seen the withholding taxes being reduced, in some cases abolished, and also in some cases like more recently, Asian fixed income market is the China bond market, whereby they have made it easier for foreign investors to gain access into the market. So all in all, I think the path likely going forward will be that the Asian authorities will continue to try to improve the infrastructure of Asian fixed income that would allow foreign investors to invest seamlessly into this market, as well as generate the interest income and the total return that they are looking for. What about the inclusion of China in broad fixed income indices, which has supported a lot of flows into the onshore bond market? Do you see, say, similar changes in the foreseeable future for any other Asian countries? I think for the Asian fixed income market, the path of inclusion into the global indices will continue. Perhaps we may not see the same type of scale of inclusion like China uh, for quite some time because China bond market is a pretty unique one, right? It is a fixed income market, second largest in the world, uh, and it has not been included until very recently. So I think if you look at the critical mass or the issuances out there in the Asian space, there aren't any more large markets like China to compete with. 
But there are some smaller ones compared to China that will likely be a focus into the coming months. For instance, could be the Indian fixed income market. So I think as the Asian fixed income continues to develop and improves on various aspects, it is very likely that the global fixed income indices would want to consider including Asian fixed income into their flagship bond indices. So I think this trend would continue and that would help to create a better opportunities for global investors. We're also hearing that Asian issuers are the largest source of ESG bonds across emerging markets. What are the types of ESG approaches available to investors, you think, in the fixed income space? And how important do you see these strategies becoming this year in 2022 and beyond even? Yes, you're right that the ESG investing is gaining popularity. I think within the Asian markets, the pace of interest or the pace of progress kind of varies from region or countries to country. Now, overall, in general, we'll say that if fixed income investors want to be investing in Asian fixed income through the ESG framework, you can consider some of the fixed income indices that are ESG friendly in the sense that they incorporate certain ESG filters into the index constructions thereby allowing the index design to capture so-called ESG-rated uh, companies into the index. And they can also use that approach to increase or adjust some of the weights of the constituents within the indices that allow investors to further fine-tune the overall tilt that they want within that of the ESG investing. I think in the ESG investing space, we have moved past the kind of uh, environment whereby in the past we just look for exclusion. Right now, we are looking at more of the integration approach and trying to give more weight to companies or issuers whereby the ESG scores are stronger or better and then reduce some of the weights for the weaker ESG issuers. I think that way we will send the signal to the issuers clearly that investors would want to invest more into ESG-friendly issuers. This is a trend that many of the Asian investors, including Asian authorities, are paying serious attention to that because we know that the ESG impact on the economy and your lives will be a very important one for the next generations. So therefore, in some cases, we have started to see institutional investors putting in in their investment guidelines that it has to be ESG-focused. And we can see that the trend would accelerate further into the coming years. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Ng King Xiang is Asia-Pacific Head of Fixed Income and Head of Singapore at State Street Global Advisors. This episode is brought to you by State Street Global Advisors. Where do you think the opportunities are then, King Xiang? Some say the specific opportunities are in the renewable energy sector, green bond issuances from property companies maybe. What are your views? I think if you look at the fixed income investing from the ESG lens, the opportunities are in, in various areas. I think the sectors that you mentioned on renewable energy, green bond issuances from property companies, I think these are some of the examples. We can also look at some of the other aspects. For instance, issuers may issue 
uh, ESG-rated or friendly bonds that would be using the proceeds to fund some of the social projects. I think these are areas that would also meet the ESG criteria. Improving the overall accessibility of, let's say, capital to the smaller companies that would help to alleviate poverty in some of the countries or some of the regions. I think this is one area focusing on education to the less privileged. I think this is also one area. I think the energy, the climate change type related strategies are clearly uh, an area that we can see immediate effect very quickly uh, that we would generate a lot of interest. But I think some of the other sectors that I mentioned as well could also be a, a source for investors as well as for the issuers to consider. I think there are a lot of opportunities for investing into the ESG related for Asia side. And then for the issuer, they also have a lot of opportunities to try to take advantage of the strong demand coming from investors to help to create more instruments or assets for them to invest. Let's talk about green premium though and how it impacts returns on green bonds. People always hear green and they think, oh, I won't get as many returns, so to speak. I think there is some truth in it. And looking at the recent issuances that we have come across and we're trying to buy for the portfolios and so on, we do see that the green bonds are issued at a premium, meaning that the the yield of the bonds are lower than other bonds which are non-green. I think from the issuer's standpoint, there is a very attractive proposition for them because they can issue bonds or borrow money at a much lower rate. But I think from investor's standpoint, we are just looking for a return of a particular asset class that also meet the ESG or the green criteria. So in that sense, you know, investors may find that while they are definitely supportive of the green theme or the climate change and so on, the premium that was being built in or pricing into the fixed income market sometimes could be too large. I think this is a reason for sometimes investors to find that the money that's going to ultimately invest into some of these green bonds is not going to come in too strongly. So for investors to consider the green investing, they would like to have the optimal situation whereby the green premium is not too large, meaning that the yield that they are getting for the portfolio is not too low compared to where they think they would be getting from other portfolios. So this is an area whereby we can see larger issues coming from the issuers would help to reduce that kind of occurrences. So at the same time, that would attract more money coming into the market. And of course, we have to talk about this, King Xiang, where investors are also growing increasingly skeptical about the space, right? How should they tackle this greenwashing? That's right. I think apart from the supply-demand kind of imbalance situation that we are observing right now, there is also the greenwashing phenomena that we are observing in, in some of the cases. That's precisely due to the fact that there are more demand than supply. Right. So in, in, in a way, so therefore the issuers, they would be you know, doing certain type of work that may not necessarily fully qualify them for green. So as a result, there's the greenwashing. So for investors, when we are investing into the green bonds or any of the ESG-related instruments, we ought to be very careful in looking through the offering documents to see how the green bonds are being structured. 
where are the clauses that say how the proceeds are going to be used, which are the so-called green or ESG um, companies that will be monitoring those metrics that they have set up they would be achieving. Now, so therefore, some form of certification in the green bonds is necessary to address some of the concerns that investors have. With this type of strict monitoring and audit available, that would help to reduce the occurrences of greenwashing and that would help further encourage more investors having confidence into the green investing. I want to thank you so much for joining us for the last three podcasts, King Xiang. Yeah, thank you. Ng King Xiang is Asia-Pacific Head of Fixed Income and Head of Singapore at State Street Global Advisors. This episode is brought to you by State Street Global Advisors. That was a podcast by The Business Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Do note, all analyses, opinions, recommendations, and other information in this podcast are for your general information only. You should not rely on them in making any decision. Please consult a fully qualified financial advisor or professional expert for independent advice and verification. To the fullest extent permitted by law, SPH Media shall not be liable for any loss arising from the use of or reliance on any analyses, opinions, recommendations, and other information in this podcast. SPH Media accepts no responsibility or liability whatsoever that may result or arise from the products, services, or information of any third parties.